This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Hello, you're listening to Beyond the Ballot Box with me, Dafrin Johan. It is often said that state elections should focus on local issues, while parliamentary elections focus on national issues. However, the upcoming series of state elections looks to be huge, with both Prikata National and the Unity Government painting this as a test for Anwar Ibrahim's leadership and popularity. On top of that, this election will be different from GE15 in terms of alliances heading into the polls. So joining me on the show today to discuss all of this and more is Dr. Bridget Welsh. She's an honorary research associate at the University of Nottingham Asia Research Institute, Malaysia. Welcome to the show, Bridget. Good to have you back. Always great to be here. Thanks for having me. So outside of East Malaysia, which has been doing this for a long time, on the peninsula front, we've had state and general elections simultaneously for decades. Things have changed over the past couple of years. So the format isn't necessarily brand new, but this particular series of state elections still feels especially important. Do you agree? And if so, why? In East Malaysia and Borneo, there have been separate elections, state elections for a long time, both in Sabah and Sarawak. Mm-hmm. So it's not just a recent phenomenon. Mm-hmm. But these particular six elect- state elections, which I call the mega polls, huh, uh, are, are different in that they are not a state election in the sense that they're not just focused on one state. And they're focused on many states. Uh, but at the same time, they're not a national election. So the sense that they're concentrated. So there are different kind of dynamics in Kelantan and Negri Sembilan and Penang than there would be as a result of the fact that there are uh, these particular state dynamics. Why are they important? Well, you know, besides the fact that they're being interpreted as a national referendum on Anwar's government, uh, which I think will in turn be a catalyst for political stability or instability in the country, I think that, you know, the states on their own are quite important pol- economically. Uh, keep in mind that Selangor and Penang are you know, over half of Malaysia's GDP. Um, and so in this context, um, you know, what happens in these state elections and in these state governments will determine and help to shape Malaysia's re- economic recovery moving forward. So I think you bring up a fantastic point about how, although this is a state elections, it's sort of framed in a way um, like it's a general elections. And because, you know, it's often said that state elections are about local issues, general elections about national issues. But looking at things uh, and how they're developing on the road to the state elections, it almost does feel, like you said, a general election where the narrative seems to be, um, you know, this will be a test for Anwar's government um, or, you know, this can be seen as sort of a midterm-esque type of elections, although it's just been seven months since um, the government was sworn in. How do you make sense of this? Well, first of all, you know, when it's somebody is only seven months into the government, they tend to have that honeymoon period. Mm-hmm. So uh, we'll be, you know, we would assume that anyone would assume that the government would have a more of an advantage and it would be down two or three years down the line. Hmm? Now, uh, the original uh, framing of this particular elections or megapoles as a kind of national test, you know, really came from Perkta National in the idea of trying to make this about Malay support, a Malay referendum. 
And that still has a lot of traction, partly from their perspective. This is how they're framing it. Uh, they know they have no non-Malay support. So they're really wanting to show that they have the majority support among the Malay community, especially in some of the key states that are going to be you know, very competitive, which is Selangor is one of them. But I think what's been interesting is to see how uh, Anwar's government and Anwar himself has sort of bought into this narrative, like it's my test, right, in this context, which of course, um, in some ways, I think is does himself a disservice. You know, one of the challenges is that he, he the government has been making it about him and himself, not about Malaysia, not about Malaysians, not about the people in these respective states, because we don't see any policies or discussions about those. We see this as, you know, because the government is so focused on Anwar himself, <laughs> As a, uh, it, con it contributes to the sense of being a referendum on the other side. There is no alternative narrative that the government has presented. And is there an alternative narrative about these elections? Absolutely, uh, both at the, at the state level, at the national level. But so far, we have yet to see that. We are living in highly fluid times, Bridget. A lot has changed, not just since GE14, but since GE15. It's just been, you know, if you look at one day before GE15, and since then, a lot has changed. So what would you say is different about this upcoming mega state elections compared to previous state elections in terms of who's contesting against one another and the alliances formed? So you may have seen my piece of Malaysia Kini that talks about what makes it different. I think right. so. First of all, um, uh, let's talk about some of the issues I raised in that article. Number one, we're back to pre-election coalitions, so we have a sense of you know one side versus another, and we have a sense of who's part of those coalitions. We, whether or not they're working together is another story, but we know who's in on one side versus the other. We also have moved, I think, away from three-corner fights to two-corner fights. Now, there will be some exceptions. I think there'll be some independence at the state level. There may be a third force that will emerge, uh, depending on how the negotiations over seats emerge. I think we can see that from the, the type of contests uh, um, to the, you know the type of issues of alliances, one of the big issues is what I call crossover vote, the ability of um, uh, parties, especially in onwards government, to attract parties from the other side. So there's a lot of debate about, you know, uh, UMNO's already blaming DAP for their failure, uh, basically setting themselves up for failure. But in this context <laughs> of saying, hey, uh, this is um, this is why we can't do well. But the fact is, is that the, UMNO is dependent on Pakatan Harapan supporters, including DAP supporters, for a lot of support in some of the seats that they are contesting in Negrisimbilan and Pereng and, and and also in um, Langor. Right. So I think, you know, these, and in some ways, they're also dependent on that close races, even in places like in Klantan, such as seats like Kotalama or Bandar and Tranganu. Right. So these areas become important, this crossover vote, uh, because now there are two corner fights. You need to win the, the most, right? So you need to win not just 30, 35%, you need to win 40 to 50% in order to win this constituency, depending on, uh, on how it moves. So I think we're going to see, uh, we see a very uh, more challenging circumstances of, of how the alliances work together. But what's interesting 
is whether or not vote share has changed. And I haven't written about this yet, and I will be writing about it. But what's interesting is to look at the Johor state election of 2022 in March, which was, uh, you know, uh, before the November 2022 election. Right. And what we saw is a situation where vote patterns did not all change all that much, with the exception of greater turnout during the general election. And there was a vote swing among Indians and among uh, Chinese, but the vote swing of Malays did not change very much. And so I think what's interesting to watch is who are who's going to be the swingers in this next election. And I think the key groups to look for are Indians and Chinese Malaysians to see whether or not they choose to stay away in turnout <laughs> levels or whether or not they change their support um, uh, to a certain degree, especially Indians uh, in some seats. I think Chinese probably not as much change, but we can see what that will be interesting to watch. And so vote patterns and predictions, um, and I've run my scenarios already, you know, do suggest that um, the turnout factor and a modest vote swing could have a very big impact on the election. Now, I want to get to the third force um, part, because I think that's an interesting point that needs to be dived into in just a second. But before that, thinking about the previous point you made, Bridget, um, about how even um, whether it's Perikata National or whether it is Anwar Ibrahim, they have both accepted this, this sort of narrative that this will be the test of Anwar Ibrahim's popularity and the popularity of the current unity government. Should this be seen as a test for um, the current unity government? When, when we look at it from an MP perspective, none of that is going to change. Even if Perikata National, for example, win all six states' elections in a sweeping manner, it doesn't change the composition in terms of who's the MPs in the currently occupying parliament because this is not a federal level election. It's not a parliamentary election. It's a state level elections. So what is the connection there? You're correct that the election itself will not change the numbers of members in parliament from the perspective of um, how they are uh, um, configured. Mm -hmm. But it may open up the possibility of new alliance relationships and it may affect the credibility of different parties and the credibility of different leadership, which leadership relationships are very uh, dependent because this is a very elite government. So it's about the perceptions of what happens in the polls, not the actual results of those polls and the perceptions of those results and how that takes on a political life of its own or may take on a political life of its own after the election. Um, and it may it may not. Right. You know, I think that, it, you know, because you may just see similar types of status quo situation with a reduction of support uh, may not be as big attraction as as is being played. I mean, there's a lot of media attention going into the election. So I think that this is a factor. Um, but, you know, that you have something very important in your question, and that is, you know, this is this election is about who governs states. Mm -hmm. So the the caliber of the chief minister in Kedah, the caliber of governance in Kelantan, the caliber of governance in Trungano, and some and so on. And so the types of issues that are important uh, environment. The issues of uh, management of land, the issue of uh, the caliber of the state government, these things become quite critical in setting the agenda, <laughs> um, you know, from a perspective of what, what it will matter. You know, why will this election matter for, for voters uh, in Slangor? It will affect who, you know, uh, how their quality of governance at the local level. 
<laughs> and, uh, and so it involves issues of forest reserves, uh, highways, land development. Um, it also involves issues of social distribution. You know, Slangor government has uh, really, in the last five years, had unprecedented social safety net programs at the local level for people in Slangor. So that's as an illustration. So there are so there are many sets of these issues that are at play, um, including the management of state GLCs, which are very important in the overall economy of the state. Um, uh, these things are not being discussed. Uh, there, there's If there's anything at the state level, it's about whether or not the chief minister is going to be replaced and political infighting and personalized discussion, not necessarily policy discussion. Do you think that there's a disconnect between the narratives that the people right at the top of the political sphere are trying to sell versus what people on the ground, regular Malaysians are looking for? Because like you said, um, you know, we, we are talking about, oh, is this a test for unwise? Oh, is this a midterm election? So on and so forth. That's the narrative that they are trying to sell. But just looking at it anecdotally, um, even on social media, seems like when I see what people of Selangor are talking about, they are talking about, like what you said, deforestation. Um, they could be very happy with, with Anwar and, and so on and so forth and, and the current government at the, the top level. But at the state level, you're seeing people talk about PJD Link, talking about deforestation, so on and so forth. I don't think the disconnect is between the top and the bottom. Hmm. I think that there are disconnects. I think one part of the disconnect is that people who make noise versus the rest of the people who are not, who don't mm. think about these issues. So, I mean, with all due respect to PJ Link, which I think is a very serious issue and I think should not, the highway should not be built uh, and it should be <laughs> greater consultation. You know, my my own personal view is that besides outside of PJ, most of Selangorites don't think about this issue. They have, right. this, they have their own highways to have to deal with. <laughs> and the fact is, is that they are also, you know, what's make what makes noise on social media versus the reality of people's lives are two very different things. Right. Keep in mind that, you know, less than half of Malaysians are engaged on political issues and, and even less are actually engaged on those types of issues <laughs> from a perspective of, so the disconnect is there. The second thing is, is the disconnect is in the way the media is reporting about this election. The media is, report, is also feeding into this discussion that it is a national test, right? You know, and when when international attention gets also on the elections, oh, it's an international test for Anwar's government. <laughs> and so the real issues that affect governance on the ground are being left behind. You know, the very positives of government, the weaknesses of government, you know, like, so, for, so there have been some exceptions, however. So, for example, the focus on the water issue, which I think is extremely important for Klantanese um, and people in Kedah and, and, and parts of, even parts of Tringanu, would not to the same extent, all right. So we can, and even parts of Slangor, <laughs> we see a situation of, uh, uh, unfortunately, Slangor too often, right, of water right. shortages. So management of these things at the local level, but I think it is fair to point out is that you know what the government, uh, the national government, <laughs> ha doesn't have jurisdiction, a full jurisdiction over some of these. But it's also, but the relationship between the state and the federal is extremely important. It's important for three reasons. Number one, for many of these states, the federal government provides resources. So one of the things that we will look at is to see how the having a voice at the federal becomes an factor to influence what I call split voting, strategic voting that happens at the different levels. The second issue is the issue associated with the jurisdiction that fe the decision making the federal government has over certain aspects. So, for example, the, the, the fishermen development of 
Land Reclamation in Penang is a federal project, although it's being perceived at the state level. All right. right? And, And so the control in the jurisdiction is at the federal level. Uh, similarly, so, you know, other parts of land development projects uh, yeah, in this area. The same thing for PJ Link, right? These concerns are at this, at this, are, are issues about federal oversight. So there is a, a meaningful relationship. And the third thing is, is that, you know, may, the, the leaders in these state levels are also many of them parliamentarians or many and some of them are also you know rising leaders in these national parties so they do speak to the the caliber and voice of the of the federal government uh, they're part and parcel of that now, you know Selangor is PKR's Pride and joy. If it loses Slangor, and there is a chance of that, uh, 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 not a not a good chance, but a chance nevertheless. Mm-hmm. Right? I think that what you see is a situation where, um, if that happens, it will impact uh, uh, the performance and, and also shape the leadership within the party itself. On the show with me today is Dr. Bridget Welch. She's an honorary research associate at the University of Nottingham Asia Research Institute, Malaysia. After the break, we discuss the possible emergence of a third force. Keep it here on Beyond the Ballot Box, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Beyond the Ballot Box. I'm Dashran Johan. And on the show with me today is Dr. Bridget Welsh. She's an honorary research associate at the University of Nottingham Asia Research Institute, Malaysia. And we're talking about the upcoming series of state elections. So, Bridget, what are the challenges or obstacles that lie ahead for the current unity government, um, you know, in, in, in their pursuit of trying to retain three states and perhaps start to make inroads in the uh, other uh, three states, namely Kedah, Kelantan and Trengganu? Well, the first challenge is unity. <laughs> and, 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 you know, when people are asking for apologies from each other, it really looks petty that they're not working together. It sends a very bad message. Huh? A common narrative, a common government government and policy priorities. You know, the big, the second big policy challenge is, is what is the policy of this government on these issues? Uh, you know, I think there's been a lot of low-hanging fruit. Uh, you know, the, the big challenge that keeps this government together is that it's seen as the other, you know, the non-pass. So that, and that in itself, you know, when you become the other, it, what you stand for and what you are are a big a crucial. Um, I think the other big challenge I would say has been in the last few months, especially what I would call self goals, <laughs> uh, as in own goals. There have been many of too many of them being scored um, uh, against the government itself. Um, so we can take a, a few issues we can unpack. Let me give you two illustrations. One is this business about T20. You know, who on earth goes into an election talking about removing subsidies from your political base before you go into an election? You know, it, it and it's not the T1s or 2s, because that's what we're not talking about. We're talking about the people who are from the from the 5 to the 15, which are people who make income in Selangor uh, 10,000 ringgit, uh, which is for families is is very minimalist right. from a perspective if you have children. And so, you know, it's it seems uh, unproductive. And that's a very diplomatic way of saying this, uh, you know, to begin to talk about subsidizing your political base before 
before an election. And people people are upset. <laughs> you know, and this is comes after people had there's there's been increased taxes on the same group. Another big challenge is that many of the parties face what is called delegitimation. Hmm. The idea is that they were there for to engage in reforms, and uh, there have been some modest reforms. And I think we can't uh, take away what those important reforms, such as uh, you know uh, decriminalizing uh, suicide, for example. Um, and uh, but many of the other reforms are pushed down the are pushed down the line. <laughs> And the questions about how to handle uh, corruption and other issues are still very much uh, and very pertinent for many of the voters. Um, you know, another own goal is is Amno calling for, you know, the release of Najib Razak. You know, if you want to talk about the biggest own goal that we've seen, uh, this is a goal that basically says, well, you're supporting somebody who has criminal charges and you're calling for that person to be released. Where's your new agenda? Where's your new program? You know, what, where are you, why are you stuck in the past? Is this how you think you're going to get your base back? And, and that, and, and a narrowing base that it is. Um, and, and, and this is not to say that this won't affect some of their uh, uh, base, uh, but it will not necessarily allow them to expand their base. Uh, it'll be just the diehards uh, in that context. So the operative word there is die. What can you tell us about the relationship between AMNO and Pakatan Harapan right now? What are the key takeaways from the recent AMNO General Assembly? Well, you know, we can see that that Anwar knows the song <laughs> and can wave the flag. Um, you know, right. uh, some DNA is deeply rooted. Uh, but I would also say that uh, the key takeaway from the General Assembly um, go beyond the relationship, right? I mean, I think the takeaway was that the relationship is more frayed than people acknowledge. Right? There's one of, it's clearly one of discomfort where people are acting like they're, they're not uncomfortable. <laughs> uh, and, and then, you know, it, it's like you, you can imagine uh, this, this circumstance as many of us have been in that. It's an all family dinner and people, some members of the family are at the table. And, you know, you really, the old, the whole hurts and anger comes out at the table table and it's not a it's not a pleasant family dinner right uh, and here this is a, a very extended family that's been put together and there's a lot of discomfort um and you know while DAP did not take up the mantle of the apology and try to say to move on uh, by choosing to do that that also you know builds up some of the tension that exists within the within that relationship the other discomforts are not necessarily as open as though as those, but I think those the Amno General Assembly shows that they have not moved on uh, in any meaningful way. Um, and you know, uh, and while the leaders can control their sentiments, uh, uh, the, the problem is they may not be able to control their grassroots. Um, and the irony is is that Amno needs Pakatan Harapan supporters more than it needs. Um, the DUP or uh, needs Pakatana needs UMNO supporters, right? From a perspective of the seats that they're contesting and the and the types of seats that they're where they are. So, um, but it's it's pretty clear, and everyone can read this, is that you know UMNO is already setting up the failure uh, that they may have electorally, not on their own pro uh, inability to change and to strengthen the party, but more on having DAP as a boogeyman as an excuse for their performance. Now, moving on to, you know, Prikata National, what obstacles do you see 
um, lie ahead for Purikata National? Well, I think, uh, you know, Purikata National is, is, is a very different mm-hmm. uh, entity going into this, this state election that it is a, at the, than it is at, um, at, the, at the general level. First of all, this is more of a PAS-PN. PAS is much more in charge. Mm-hmm. Bursatu is ha, offers less to the table because they have less grassroots, they have less resources, um, they have less numbers in terms of seats, uh, so their contribution is less. So this is really about uh, uh, an election for PAS at the national stage. I think, you know, the big challenge is that they have, they are focused exclusively on race and race slash religion, and they have nothing beyond that. Um, in that context. Um, so uh, how much will this be enough for them? Or will it be, uh, you know, and they are also relying on race and religion and something else, which is not this. So they're, the, you know, against the other uh, in that context. So in that particular area, how much that is a mobilization? Um, and we can see that they have been very careful and they've controlled the election narrative so far. Um, then the question they face is in- internally, first of all, is who are the candidates? You know, the announcement today of by um, Hamza of uh, bringing in 10 Omno warlords, you know, mm, this is another illustration of the problem of competency and caliber of leadership. And this is, I think, in some ways, Perkta National's most serious issue is, is that they 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 lack the sense that they're competent, capable of carrying things out. All right. And they have, you know, they're, they have no plan. They have no programs. They have no policies. <laughs> um, and uh, they're... This is something that becomes more acute because before they at least had Abba or Muyid and Yassin's perceptions to ride on. This at the state level, they won't um, have that. Um, and then, you know, down the line, Perkna National also faces the issue of the, how this election will affect the balance among the different parties and leadership transitions within that. You know, so there are, um, you know, they now may look together, um, but, you know, they will be inevitably pressures be placed on the coalition. The expectations for them are high mm-hmm. for them to do well. And if they don't perform those, uh, we can see, um, you know, Kedah is in particular the frontline state from a perspective of whether or not they win the two-thirds in Kedah. And if that happens, uh, it will determine, you know, how much they can move to as, as a stepping stone to the national power. Absolutely. Now, Bridget, previously you you pointed out, um, you know, that Anwar is, you know, perhaps making the mistake of ignoring his core base in pursuit of garnering support from conservative voters, specifically perhaps those who support PASS. Um, you have mentioned this uh, a few times in previous interviews as well. Do you think this will impact the enthusiasm among PH, uh, among Pakatan Harapan supporters? Um, has it already impacted the, the enthusiasm among Pakatan Harapan supporters? I think it has already done so. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is pretty clear among some of the focus groups that I have already done. Um, my sense is that, you know, Pakatan Harapan thinks it can take its supporters for granted. Um, and I don't think that they're going to vote for the different areas, but they won't necessarily come back to vote. Mm-hmm. And it's turnout that is the bigger challenge. Um, and that, I think, will be very important to look at um, um, in, in that context. Um, I also think that, you know, it's interesting to watch 
how Anwar Ibrahim is in some ways very much like Mahathir Muhammad. You know, Pakatan Harapan 1.0 courted those they couldn't subget. Uh, Anwar seems to be courting the same same group, the same following the same pattern. You know, going after what they don't have, um, and with the hope that that will you know galvanize. But you know, you can't out conservative a conservative Islamist party. You can't out populist a Islamist populist party. And I think that they are trying to do that. Um, and it comes with costs because uh, it, it, the costs really narrow the space for the support that it needs um, in other places. Now, it, this election may not be the the, the final, you know, it, final determinant of that. You know, as I mentioned in the very beginning of this program, you know, it, it's only seven months in. So he still has a honeymoon boost to deal with, right? Um, and that boost will work to his advantage, uh, uh, where uh, especially given the fear that, that is the, of the other alternative that that works among Pakatan Harapan supporters. But, you know, under all of this, the main issue is the economy. Right. Uh, you know, and this we have to keep this in mind. It's about what's happening in the economy and the management of the economy. Uh, and that's where um, this that can be something that can be used more constructively than has been used so far. Absolutely. Now, I think this is the a good time to also talk about third forces that might emerge, because prior to GE fifteen, Muda was accepted um, after you know really difficult and and sometimes toxic um, negotiations. Um, you know, it, it was really toxic on social media with both parties mudslinging and whatnot. But finally, Muda was accepted as a partner of Harapan, um, at, you know, not officially, but they went into elections as a unit. They negotiated seats. Um, now that AMNO has become an alliance um, with Harapan, where will that leave parties like Muda, who currently only has one seat in parliament and they have one Adun seat in, in Johor? Well, I think that it's not just Muda. I am, mm-hmm. you know, MIC, MCA, other parties, uh, even Amana. Um, you know, smaller parties face more of a struggle. Um, uh, I think that Muda has came late to the Pakatan Harapan connection. Um, they challenge PKR in terms of the base that they go after. That relationship became soured in Johor, and it has only gotten worse since they've uh, since. Uh, uh, Anwar has gotten into government. Um, I think it, it becomes a point of time where Muda will have to make a decision um, to to step away and to move in a different direction. Um, now, I think that doesn't, you know, we'll see what the circumstances are around that. Um, but I think the same issues, you know, have to happen for MIC, MCA uh, in this context. Uh, I think they're also depending and see what happens in the election result. Um, uh, but I think that all of these smaller parties, you know, it, this is part of what I was explaining in my article in Malaysia Kini in that it's a contracting pie, right? So therefore, to get access to the seats uh, when there's so many more competitors now, um, it's much more challenging. Uh, and so, uh, and when you're not even at the negotiation table as Muda is not, uh, the impact has been that you are seen as secondary. Uh, and and of course, uh, you know, when you treat people badly, um, then people get upset. And I think this is true of both sides, right? In the sense, uh, so the the, t- the relationships have have become more sour. 
Right now, when we look at the compositions, many consider Harapan to be the most progressive, Amno corrupt but not extreme, and pass as the right-wing Islamist populist party. Could we see an emergence of a genuine third force, perhaps in the form of MUDA and PSM partnering up to form a small coalition of their own? Because there have been some rumblings about it on social media. Um, we're talking about a coalition that is truly Marhain in, in spirit, focuses on class struggle first and foremost, and the human rights issues that other parties can't find the courage to take up. And if such a coalition is formed, how will they fare, especially since people often talk about, you know, splitting the votes and, and whatnot? What it means to be progressive is really uh, contested. Uh, uh, and I think that the ideological divide has always been about race relations, about religion, um, as well as social policy. And the fact, actually, what's interesting is that many of the differences over social policy, over how to manage the economy, uh, how to you know distribute benefits to certain groups, those issues haven't necessarily you know had the same level of political discourse attraction. So I think from an ideological perspective, I think there's still a lot of room to grow to define what those interests are. I think what will be interesting to see is how what how Malaysia moves away from reformasi. You know, reformasi has been so defined with Anwar Ibrahim and the Pakatan Harapat. And if there aren't any meaningful reforms uh, and attraction, especially in areas like corruption, um, but not only that, uh, the other areas, the implications will be that there will have to be an emergence of new political narratives. When you talk about third forces, you know, uh, I think you put PSM in one of those groups. I think that from a perspective of being electorally viable, uh, not so much, but in in terms of an agenda setter, I think they have some important uh, contributions to make in this regard. I think that, you know, we are at a very interesting juxtaposition about how those narratives are going to transform themselves and how and how various political parties will try to pick up those narratives. Um, uh, you know, I would argue that some people say this is the time of reformacy. I think it's the end of reformacy and, and we're going to see a transformation of these political narratives. Whether or not it's something that's evolving slowly, it's, you know, these state elections will just be a part of that process uh, of this area. Um, you know, it's hard to have reformacy when the person, the party you're trying to reform or oppose is now in the government uh, in this context. So it becomes a real challenge. Um, but uh, that doesn't mean that there aren't reforms happening. It's just very minimal and, and, and not in different sets of priorities. When when it, when it comes to public perception, um, especially among let's say Harapan supporters, forget people who are you know ardent supporters of past. Let's just look at it from a Harapan perspective. Do you think the the consciousness of the public has reached a point where they feel like you know you know you've been chanting reformasi since ninety eight, and it's ultimately been about taking down the giant the you know that's been dominating malaysian politics barisan national and so on and so forth do you feel that people have people are looking at it now from a perspective of okay we have defeated so to speak this giant and now we are just taking the remnants of them you know as part of us to to you know just make it work or do you think people are haven't moved on from that and people are as many of us question that you know you know this how can you 
talk about reformasi when now the 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 sort of um, the big villain you have painted for the past two decades, three decades are now part of you. How are people on the ground looking at it? There's a lot of cynicism about all uh, all the pol- political actors. Mm-hmm. I think it's about their power, you know, and as opposed to, um, you know, improving governance or changing these issues. This, I think there's considerable cynicism. We have to recognize that. Number two, uh, there's a disengagement from politics where people are focused on, you know, let's fix the economy. Let's get our lives back into shape. You know, do keep in mind that Malaysia is still recovering from COVID the impact of COVID. And uh, and there's a lot of suffering on the ground. So I think that there's kind of this disengagement that happens uh, in that particular area. Number three, there's also the sense that you've taken down a giant, but a new, more serious uh, creature has emerged, and that is PAS from a perspective of uh, uh, empowering and filling that vacuum. And that does uh, impact a lot of non-Malay voters, in part because of PAS leadership spewing so much hateful rhetoric, so much decisive and divisive uh, discussions about communities. Uh, And it, and and, you know, that's the way that they're going about this. Uh, um, but it's having, you know, it's tearing into the social fabric. Uh, and so that in itself works to Pakatan Harapan's, uh, you know, benefit from a perspective of uh, they they see this bigger enemy uh, that they have to respond to um, in this context. Um, and so these three factors, you know, cynicism, the sense of, uh, you know, the bigger monster, uh, and, and, and these things come together, right, in, in very interesting sets of ways of kind of a disengagement as well being the third factor. Um, you know, uh, but at the same time, there's a fourth, mm-hmm. and that is, there's still, you know, a lot of Pakatan Harpan supporters, <laughs> you know, these have been very active in politics, supporting uh, uh, change. The hope is very much alive. There's more patience mm-hmm. uh, among many Pakatan Harapan supporters. They've seen this. They know that the obstacles are more difficult. They're not as uh, impatient as they are. Uh, so they're willing to give time. Mm-hmm. And they, and that hope it remains there because that's a hope for what they vision for a better country, for a stronger country. Um, and the state elections, you know, are seen as an obstacle to get through because the bigger war was come involve other things. So uh, I don't rule out this positive force of transformation because Malaysia stands out as a country in Southeast Asia and globally for uh, people's power and for wanting to bring about change. But there will come a time when that patience will evaporate and then they will look for alternatives. Absolutely. I think that's very well said. Before we wrap this conversation up, Bridget, just one last question for you on polarisation. I mean, um, we've talked about this in the past and I think it's it's no secret that the country is incredibly polarised. Do you think that the road to the upcoming state elections will only serve to deepen this polarisation? Yes. Hmm. I think, you know, one of the points I made in my article was that uh, there's an unprecedented level of hate that's being spewed. You know, line, red lines have been increasingly crossed. And you don't speak about communities the way that are being spoken about. And this is, you know, and that this is seen as normal. Right. 
I think that's the yeah. scariest part of your the, the when, when you you mentioned in the article, right? Such a poignant point that this just it's not just that it's red lines being crossed. It's like the whole overturn window, so to speak. Like it feels like you have pushed the country far, you know, more socially regressive, politically regressive. That things that three years ago, ten years ago would be, whoa, you do not say these, you know, extreme things in public are now becoming more normal. It's just everyday conversations on social media and whatnot. Bitterness, anger, hate. You know, and 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 the drive for power are driving these things. Um, and you can you can feel you know in social media the poignancy of 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 sentiments of hurt feelings. Right? It, it, it is it, it is very very troubling. On that note, Bridget, thank you so much for joining me today. Let's stay a little positive, though. But thanks so much. <laughs> that was Dr. Bridget Welch, Honorary Research Associate at the University of Nottingham Asia Research Institute, Malaysia. If you missed any part of our conversation, you can also check us out on podcasts. We're available on the BFM app, bfm.my, or pretty much wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Darshan Johan, and this has been Beyond the Ballot Box, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.